So in the middle of the Afghanistan debacle, there's Joe Biden screaming at governors, DeSantis and Abbott, about masks. Biden results in the weeks ahead. Just remember, we have two key and two key ways of protecting ourselves against COVID-19. One, safe, free and effective vaccines. And two, masks. Vaccines are the best defense, but masks are extremely helpful as well. And for those who aren't eligible for the vaccine yet, children under the age of 12, masks are the best available protection for them and the adults around them. That's why we need to make sure children are wearing masks in school. Before I talk about the news related to vaccines, let me say a few words about masks and our children. Let's hold off on that. Are kids better off with masks in school? Because data has said no. And masks, as we have seen, doesn't stop COVID. But things change, right? It's science. Data does change. You learn more things all the time. But what has now come out that all of a sudden has school boards saying you got to wear masks that somehow the rest of us haven't seen? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 833-468-8669. Got Tony. Phil Kirpin joins us right now from the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. You can go to Committee to Unleash Prosperity.com and find out more. Now, Phil's not a doctor. But I've met very few people who are better at breaking down the data, and he has been on cable news outlets and sharing on social media. Nothing more than looking at what's happening and reporting on what's happening, not pretending to be something that he's not. All I do is look at the data and report on the data. Joe Biden has made it clear that without masks, everybody is doomed. You have got him going after Governor Abbott of Texas and Governor DeSantis of Florida because they are saying that you can't force masks onto people. It is the choice of the individual. We've asked this question before. I don't want to be a broken record with you, but as these things develop, we need to make sure we go back to basics and then work our way out from there. Is there any new data out there that shows that masks, in a definitive way, stop COVID and keep children alive in this Delta variant conversation? No, Tony, there's no there's no such data. And in fact, uh, this idea that Delta somehow changes everything we know about COVID and kids or COVID and masks uh, is totally contrary to the data we do have, which is very, very good data from the United Kingdom. They have much better data than we do on almost every aspect of COVID, by the way. Uh, but uh, in the United Kingdom, they never masked any children under the age of 12 because they said that the uh, downside in terms of the adverse educational impact, specifically on communication skills and uh, language development were far greater than any benefit. So they've never masked children under 12 in England, um, but they uh, ended masking for children over 12 in May. So right in the teeth of their very, very large Delta wave. Uh, And the results that they found there were actually lower in-school case rates in the Delta wave than in the previous Alpha wave, which is to say with this current wave, uh, the supposedly worst ever for kids, uh, they had less in-school transmission than in the previous wave, and that was when they 
ended masking for the older kids uh, right in the middle of that, and they never had masking for the younger kids. So what the U.K. has found, and you actually have been uh, sharing this, you had it pinned uh, to, your, to your Twitter feed for a while from the Financial Times that if you were 18 and, un- 18 and under and unvaccinated, your chances of dying from COVID was just about or just over one ten thousandth of a percent. Uh, but in that same kind of look at, at UK data, not max, masking kids 12 and under, uh, they have not found that that has had any effect in rising COVID cases, even with the Delta variant. Uh, correct. They actually had lower lower um, in school cases uh, than than in the previous wave, and you know it's 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 very interesting. I think that uh, the masking in the classroom context may actually make symptomatic disease a little bit more likely, which would explain some of the U.S. data that we have from this last school year, where you had slightly higher case rates in the masked than the in the I, I should say in the mask mandated than in the mask optional schools, and I think that's because um, I do think the masks stop droplets and close contact transmission. Uh, they're largely almost completely ineffective against aerosol transmission. And certainly in a circumstance where you're sitting in a classroom with someone, if they're breathing out aerosols that have virus in it, you know, if the mask buys you five extra minutes so that it's a 20-minute exposure to get infected as opposed to 15, that has zero benefit in a classroom where you're sitting there eight hours long. Uh, but if droplets are more likely to cause an asymptomatic infection and uh, aerosols are more likely to actually make you sick because you breathe it in, it gets in deeper into your lungs, and there is some evidence that's the case, uh, then you may uh, not be stopping any infections with the masks, and you may be making some of them more severe, which would explain the slightly higher case rates because you're more likely to go take a test and actually find out that your kid has it as opposed to them just, uh, you know, it gets in their nose and the immune system knocks it right out. So that's my theory of why we see what we see in the data. But I can tell you, whatever your theory is, uh, we've got data from millions of kids from this past school year uh, that it just ended, and the case rates were slightly higher in the mask mandated than the mask optional schools. Now, you can say that's correlation. It's not causation. That's true, but it's extraordinarily hard to explain the correlation going in the opposite direction if you want to claim that masks actually are effective in the classroom context. Talking to Phil Kirpin, the Committee to Unleash Prosperity.com. Now let's get into if this is the case, and certainly we're seeing that Delta is more contagious, and you are discussing the fact that you could see a rise in kids getting uh, COVID, but it isn't so much the thing that is flooding hospitals as much as we know it's RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, which is a respiratory virus that usually occurs in kids two years old and under. We're seeing a little more kids get this, which could have something to do with the fact that more kids were interacting with each other. You had very low rates when they were in lockdown. They're interacting with each other. You have more kids uh, getting this, the kind of thing that's filling the hospitals. But we keep hearing about how the ICUs are filled with kids uh, with, with COVID, talk to me about what you know about ICU numbers, ICU beds. Are they filled with kids with COVID? Uh, well, the, the pediatric hospitals, the children's hospitals and the pediatric ICUs are at very high utilization right now. They're at a winter-type utilization level, even though we're in the summer when they're usually very low. And this is kind of the opposite of what we saw this past winter, which is they were completely empty at the time where they're usually very full, very busy. And so we had this circumstance where 
we we thought that we skipped the respiratory disease season for children, but we didn't skip it, Tony. We deferred it. We postponed it from the winter to the summer. And we're now getting this massive RSV wave. Other viruses are back, too, especially parainfluenza viruses. And so it's not all RSV, but RSV is the main driver here. And we're essentially getting a winter-type uh, utilization of children's hospitals in the summer. And, in fact, um, the RSV levels right now are higher than the last winter peak in 2019-2020. So, and they're still rising. I'm hoping we'll see a national peak soon. Uh, the Midwest and the South may have just peaked. We need some more data to see confirmation of that. But this means that instead of the children's hospitals being, you know, pretty much empty the way they were for for over a year, they're now very, very busy places. They're very full now. The way that we count COVID hospitalizations, if you're in the hospital for literally any reason and you get a positive COVID test and they test everyone you know, very frequently in the hospital, you now become a COVID-associated hospitalization regardless of your original reason for admission and why you're there. And so even when the hospitals were pretty empty, we had two studies that uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics did where they found that 40 to 45 percent of the hospitalizations in the pediatric age group were there for some reason totally unrelated to COVID, a broken arm or whatever it might be. So to me, it stands to reason that if you have vastly higher children's hospital utilization because you're in this big wave of these other respiratory diseases that were sort of postponed from the winter, you know, some percentage of them are going to test positive for COVID just because COVID's circulating in the community. It doesn't mean that that's what's causing the disease in those individuals. And so I think that's the main reason we're seeing a rise to the extent that they are infected uh, with the with the SARS-CoV-2, the COVID virus. Um, it, it's likely a co-infection with one of those other viruses, probably RSV. Whether whether that presents greater danger than RSV by itself, we don't really know. But I can tell you that it's very clear from the international data that COVID itself has not changed to become any more dangerous for children uh, with the Delta variant. And in fact, the world's number one top expert on pediatric COVID is a doctor named Alastair Monroe, who is he actually is a practicing clinician at a hospital in the United Kingdom, also runs a website that reviews every single paper on pediatric COVID that's written. It's extremely comprehensive. And he had this tweet, I don't know, 10 days ago now, where he basically said, you know, Delta is now totally dominant in every Western country. Why is only the United States trying to claim that somehow it's more dangerous for children? Uh, we're not seeing that anywhere. That's not true. And so I think this is a panic. It's, uh, you know, it is true that children's hospitals are very full right now, uh, but there's no evidence that COVID has become more dangerous for children. They are more crowded, and I think it's important to discuss these things as they are. But we haven't seen that they're more dangerous for children. If you have, if it's more contagious, which it is, you will have the opportunity for more kids uh, to Tony, get it. And so you could have opportunities for more kids to be in hospitals. Can I add a one point of advice? To yeah, sure, man. Listeners? If somebody has an infant that's in a high-risk category, and you can do a search and see what these are for RSV, you should ask your doctor about um, immunoprophylaxis. They can give them shots of uh, antibody. And typically that's done in the winter ahead of RSV season. But I, I worry that, you know, babies who otherwise might have gotten those shots didn't because of the, you know, the out-of-season nature of this RSV situation. So if people do have infants uh, that fit one of those high-risk categories, you know, ask your doctor about RSV immunoprophylaxis right now because uh, we don't want kids, you know, to die because they get this virus because everyone was so obsessed with COVID that they weren't prepared for this RSV coming in the summer. Talking to Phil Kirpin of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity.com, just a guy who knows how to break down 
the data, and this data is important because what parents are being subjected to by school boards is we force the masks. You're seeing it where I live in central Indiana. You're seeing it all across the country. We have high positivity rates. We have to wear the mask, but the mask is not shown to prove effectiveness uh, against COVID. This is what we keep discussing and we keep going over. You heard Joe Biden go after Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, Greg Abbott, the governor uh, of Texas, and instruct Miguel Cardona, who is the secretary of education, to find ways to sue those governors because what they're doing, if you don't have masks and people get sick, well, that's clearly discrimination. It's crazy. Here's the thing, Tony. Both of those states had lots of schools that didn't mask this past school year. Now, this wasn't a political thing. They weren't attacked for it. I didn't hear anyone say a word about it until now when he's trying to change the subject from Afghanistan and whatever. But um, both of those states had lots of schools that didn't mask last school year. Both of those states have a lot of data on this. And both of those states, based on the data we have, have either no difference at all or maybe slightly lower case rates in the mask optional than the mask mandated schools. That's why they made the decision that they did. This was not an unscientific or an undata driven decision. This was based on what they observed last school year. They're not going into the unknown. And I think, you know, the idea that masks would make a difference with a more infectious variant when they made no difference with a less infectious one is completely backwards to logic. The truth is, Um, The Delta variant of this virus is more infectious. The old one was very infectious itself. The CDC estimated that 40% of school-age kids had already been infected by March. It's probably over 50% now. And the reality is, almost no matter what we do, it's probably going to be nearly 100% of kids who get this. And by the way, that might not be a bad thing, because for a virus that is very, very low risk for children, but very, very dangerous for older people, you want them to get it young and their body to be used to it and to get it every few years so it never becomes a dangerous thing. Yeah, but now you're having the conversation about whether or not the antibodies are going to last, and you've got Joe Biden already talking about booster shots for people with Pfizer, Moderna, J&J coming. We've seen that the the antibodies last seven, eight months. Is there a feel on on whether or not these antibodies are going to last for forever? Well, look, I mean, I don't think anything lasts forever, uh, but based on what we know about this virus, and there's a very good article by, uh, by a doctor named Christine Ben from, from Denmark on this point. It was in the British Medical Journal. But uh, we know that the course for coronaviruses, what normally happens with the other four coronaviruses, you get exposed to it as a child. It's, it's harmless. You get re-exposed to it, reinfected every couple of years. And it's really, it, it, it really is sort of is an irritation at best, a sort of a common cold. It's not a big deal. Uh, the new virus, when a new coronavirus like the one we're dealing with comes out, the reason it's so dangerous and you have the massive death that we've had is you've got a lot of older people whose bodies never seen it before. If they'd seen it back when they were kids and seen it every couple of years since, it wouldn't have caused the havoc that it did. And so the, the hope is that this sort of elegantly degrades into just the fifth common cold coronavirus. And, uh, you know, the the hope is that the vaccines are good enough that for older people, you know, when we do get exposed, and I think we're all going to be exposed if we haven't been already, the key thing for people who are in a higher risk category is to be vaccinated before your first exposure. Uh, You know, the, the hope is that, you know, when you are exposed, it 
you, you will have a relatively mild course and, and you'll be okay. And then, you know, you're probably going to get it again in a few years, but it's not going to be nearly as severe then because your body's seen it before. And even if the antibodies are gone, you've got, you know, you've got your B cells, you've got your T cells, you've got all the immune mechanisms that'll sort of recognize it. So do me a favor, Phil. It to be more mild going forward. In 30, literally, I only have 30 seconds. How do you explain to parents to explain to school boards that they're wrong to mandate masks? I think you really have to focus on the harms. You have to point out that this is not a costless intervention, uh, that there are substantial negative educational effects, uh, particularly for language development and communication skills, that there are substantial mental health effects, uh, that we're seeing a lot of anxiety, a lot of mental health effects among a lot of students as a consequence of this, that there are social and emotional developmental effects, that they don't develop the normal relationships with each other and with their teachers that they would without that barrier, and that there are physical health effects, that a lot of kids are uncomfortable that they get headaches, that they get skin conditions, uh, that these are all very disruptive and very costly. And you need to, ha to have an intervention like that. You have to demonstrate that there's Phil, a benefit. I'm up against it. I got to run. I love you, Phil Kirpin. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz.